Welcome to episode 431 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Sunday, February 26th. I am your host, Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how's it going? Uh, it's going. My UCF Knights beat the number 15 team in the country, 53-49 to 49 today, so Back I am game. pretty happy. You guys are, yeah. you know, you're going to have to go strong to the finish to, to make the tournament, uh, the, the big dance, but you're, you're dancing either way, right? You're at least getting some NIT. And I know that that, you know, I went to, I went to Texas. Some people at bigger schools, they might not care about that. But when you are a smaller school with the program that's kind of emerging, you want, you need to get any postseason you can, try, kind of start getting used to it, right? So even an NIT wouldn't exactly. be awful. And it helped me. It helped me get over. Uh, I have to go golfing next month. What? Um, I ha- I have not gone golfing since the last time I went golfing. The Montreal Expos were a baseball. Game. <laughs> All right. I have uh, the the franchise group that my dad helped really grow from store one is now almost forty stores in the southeast. Wow. They named a, a tournament in his honor, and so they asked my brothers and I to come down and play in it. And That's then, uh, awesome. My middle brother's like, yeah, let's do it, and so we're going. Um, he at least golfs. Again, I don't. We went to the driving range today, and I looked I looked like, uh, who's the worst hit? John Lester trying to hit a baseball. Oof. It was terrible. So I have two weeks, and thankfully it's a best ball tournament. That, so that'll help. So I force them. You know, I'm going to be like, okay, I'll drive the cart. Uh, I'll putt because I can at least putt. I'm a good. That's putter, huge, though. If you can, if you can sink some putts, else. you'll really, you'll really help the crew there. Um, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the putter because uh, it's good lord. It, I am bad. I'm, I'm going to have to go pay somebody for a crash course next weekend. I, I was talking to uh, to Craig on Facebook chat before we started recording this, and I was like, yeah, I suck, and he's giving me all these tips. I'm like. Yeah, my brother was pretty much saying the same thing, uh, but I'm gonna give it another try. So next uh, next weekend, another crash course and see what happens. Well, let us but, uh, let us know how it goes. I mean, getting out on the links there. Out. Listen, there's gonna be some other guys out there that aren't aren't at, at the peak of their powers right now. So if you get a few, uh, like you said, crash course sessions in, maybe maybe you'll be out there and uh, you'll get some shots that work. But if you're again, if you're putting and helping the club. That's really going to help. Uh, in addition to hoops and golf, you know, obviously the weather's getting warmer. We have baseball on our TV. Now, it is spring training, and I, I, I'm going to be honest. I get super amped, and it was great on Friday. And then pretty much by tomorrow or, like, Tuesday, I'm not really going to care. They're going to become background noise. But it's the best background noise you can have in March, uh, in late February and March. So it's great to have games on. I'm not going to ask you if you're analyzing the games or anything that you're seeing, but any spring training news that, that, that you're picking up as you're kind of keeping an eye on these games that has piqued your interest? Two things. Uh, one was Tyler Glasnow's first outing today. Dude struck out six, Ooh, and it was wow. against the, the A lineup uh, of the Pirates. Two innings, one hit, six strikeouts. He struck out the first five, gave up a single, uh, I'm sorry, against the Orioles, and then another strikeout, and he was done. And that was against their starters. We're actually going to uh, so, talk about that team today. That's going to be our team breakdown. Uh, so that is interesting. I In my chat, I got sent to me an article about how he's revamped some things because I've been notably yes, he has. down Change on Tyler Glass now. Yeah, so. he, he revamped his delivery, and he, he's changing his changeup. Uh, I think from a four to a two seam, he's doing one of those. Correct. But there's two, and, he, and he's in the new pitch tracker because – um, because of this, uh, he's in there. So go check out the new Speaking pitch tracker. Speaking of, yep, new pitch before. tracker is is up. You can find that <laughs> in the sidebar. This year I opened bar. it up a little bit. Well, I opened it a little bit this year because you know with new um, arm angles, new deliveries, that's going to affect pitch action. So I think that that counts. I uh, completely like, uh, agree. Craig Breslow, 
All right, good. Well, I mean, like Craig Breslow, uh, Jesse Hahn is going back to a different arm slot. He talked about last year that he got too high and he was getting velocity but losing movement when he was actually on the mound able to pitch, uh, and it and it hurt his curveball. So he's going back to another arm angle. So I think um, he's somebody to watch. So Glass now, <clears throat> pardon me, this spring was that Teddy's outing was nice, and then Mitch Haniger. You see some, you saw some news. Two days ago that he's being considered for the starting right fielder's job. They really like his approach and that uh, Scott Service has given him the green light to steal 20 bases. So he wants him running as well. He's a sleeper and, and a Bustian uh, player. I'm sorry? He's, he's, he's a member of the sleeper and the bust team. He's a sleeper and a Bustian. Our 24th round pick, our first reserve pick, I, I was um, – I remember thinking, oh, man, I forgot to grab Hanniger with outfield five. But then I was like, that's the first guy I wanted to take because you were already gone by that point. So I did the reserve round this Correct. year. And he was the first guy on my list. And I still almost went, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can wait. But then in my back of my head, I'm like, no, I know Todd Zola likes him a lot. Yep. And we're picking uh, Zola's after us a couple of picks. So I'm going to go ahead and grab the dude now because I did not want Adam Eaton 2.0 getting taken away from us. No, I, I liked that you, that you got him. He was somebody that we have been talking about. And so if he's going to get a green light and, and the playing time, I think even the, the article that you sent me that mentioned it said maybe some 2020 upside. Not That's not your main projection that we're talking upside here. He needs to develop. But Mitch Hanniger is a really interesting piece of that deal. I know Dave Cameron wrote favorably about him when the uh, when the Segura Taiwan Walker deal happened. That Hanniger could kind of be the, the the turning point of that deal that really favors Seattle. So I'm I'm glad that they got it. I wanted it when they traded Smiley there. But you know, for free help right now, his ADP is 94th in the outfield. His ADP is 397. Um, high end 246, low end 660. I have, yeah, I mean that that's going to move up quite a bit. Uh, we, Especially if he gets a Ninety-four is an outfield with a guy with his skills. Uh, you know, there's a number of guys in front. I'm kind of scratching my head. We we talked about Malik Smith. Where's he going to end up playing? And even if he does run, you know, everything else, you know, he's going well. In, he's going fifty picks in front of him. Uh, ben Revere, who we also like, who we ended up taking mm-hmm. six rounds after we took Mitch Haniger. Um, is going 60 picks ahead of, uh, of Hanniger right now. Tyler Naquin, a guy that you and I are both down on, Correct. is going 80 picks ahead of him. Oh, I would. Cameron Maven, 100 picks ahead of him. I think at even price, I think I take Hanniger. I am just not in on Naquin. I really think he's going to end up losing playing time and possibly a job altogether to where he could end up back in AAA. That's that's the level of my concern. One of my bold predictions. Yeah. One of my bold predictions. I'm, I'm with you there. Yes, he goes there. So, uh, okay, I'll, I'm going to have to keep investigating further on Glass now. I might have to change my tune a little bit here because I'm seeing evidence that suggests that this is not the same guy that, I, that I've been concerned with because the main concerns I've had is that at 6'8", getting those levers in order with regularity has been a problem, uh, but it looks like he's making some developments to, to, to fix that. And again, not just because he had a big spring outing, but the, the grip change, the mechanical changes. So I'm going to keep an eye on Glass now for sure. And again, Mitch Hanniger, if, if you are in a, a league of a certain depth, the way this one was a 15 team with uh, six reserves, you you got to start considering Mitch Haniger, and he might even start creeping up in, into maybe some reserves of a 12 teamer if the uh, the playing time battle really starts to tip in his favor. So today, Jason, we've got some pitcher battles. We actually have three of them, and then as I mentioned earlier, we are going to break down the O's. So let's just dive right in. We've got kind of a uh, uh, upper end, middle tier, and then a late. Uh, pitcher battle. So th- these these will be interesting. Let's start with the, with the stud guys. 
These are two, I believe, both top ten guys. But let, actually, let me check that. Uh, it, it's Justin Verlander versus John Lester. And right now, John Lester is going ninth among starters, and Justin Verlander is going tenth. They're going picks 36 and 42, respectively. They've peaked at 21 and 23, and they've been as late as 55 and 57. So they're really going together. And it, it seems that once Lester goes, somebody a pick or two later says, oh, well, there goes Lester. I kind of wanted him. I'll take Verlander. Uh, how do you feel about these two, Lester versus Verlander? You know, the funny thing is when we talked about uh, our, our first pitcher that we were going to take as our, our, our staff anchor, Lester never even came up in that discussion, but Verlander did. That's true. And it's not because he's just a tiger and the other guy's a cub. It, we're, we, we, are, we respect all members of the animal kingdom equally, <laughs> but we never, we never even talked about Lester, and that, and that's kind of where I feel this one is. I don't personally, I don't really feel they're that close. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on it. I mean, last year Lester obviously enjoys. Uh, you know, last year he had a much better ERA. Enjoys the tremendous team defense behind oh, him so nice. uh, and, and the bullpen where where Verlander doesn't have that kind of thing so you know maybe I'm overlooking but when we had this discussion Lester wasn't in the equation it wasn't because we thought he'd be gone we just both like Verlander better yeah we were just priced Verlander and 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 Cueto and so maybe we did give short shrift to, to Lester I'm I'm open to that that potential I certainly don't want to uh to get caught just completely ignoring a guy. We also tend to favor the AL guys, uh, and we probably shouldn't. We should maybe favor NL a little bit more because there is a league difference, although that league difference has tightened for sure. But the skills are similar. I mean, they, they probably are pretty similar. For some reason, I just uh, – well, not for some reason. Everyone knows I like Verlander more. But even putting the, the, the Tigers bias aside, I'm curious on this. How much weight, if any, are you going to put on David Ross being gone? A little. So one of the things that's it's important to understand with both these guys, and I've seen this argument recently, uh, you know, with with Lester, batting average and balls in play the last uh, five seasons, 312, 300, 299, 303, and then last year, 256. Now, again, he had the best defense in the league behind him last year. He has never enjoyed the best defense in the league behind him. So that's definitely a factor here. Mm-hmm. But then the other factor his left on base percentage the last same five years, 68, 74, 76, 72, 85. <laughs> so he has he has two things that that should regress back. Now, Verlander had the same batting average and balls in play, and he, too, had a near career best left on base percentage of 80% last year, which he also had done in 2011. But those are the only two years that he's ever been above 76 yeah, above 76 that I'm looking at um, in recent years. So both of these guys should slide back a little here. But if you're going to ask me which one's going to slide back more, it's going to be Lester because he's got two big things working against them. The defense should definitely help here. But I want I want the strikeouts, and I'm going to get them out of Verlander. I'm going to, again, the, losing Ross and having to go to another catcher, having to go to um, – uh, They're going to go Wilson Contreras, the, Contreras. And, and Miguel Montero. Yeah, Contreras and Montero still Maybe in that picture. We know shorter. we didn't really like throwing to Montero, if I remember correctly. right? What, say that again? Wasn't Montero one of the guys that he had issues throwing with? He I, didn't like throwing to I him? I think that's why he, you know, cause he ended up having David Ross as basically his full-time caddy. Uh, so we'll see. You know, not, not, None of the three guys that they have, because Schwarber's kind of supposed to be in the mix a little bit as well, is known for their catch and throw or, you know, anything behind the dish. They're all bats. So, you know, I don't want to overrate something like that, 
but I'm not going to completely ignore it either. A lot of a lot of this stuff, it, it's a little bit intangible, and I'm not going to just necessarily go by like catcher ERA or things like that. I know that that stuff's been proven to be spotty in terms of reliability, but in terms of a comfort and and you know feel thing with with John Lester, I think it's going to be a little bit of a deal. And you know we know that he can't throw to first. Not that David Ross helps him with that because it, he couldn't do that whether Ross was there or not. But you know there's right. some mental blocks that 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 Lester has had. I hope this doesn't create one. I'd I'd like to see him be you know successful again. I think the 256 BABIP you regress it. I think you can get away with with only regressing it to say 275. You know that's, that's like a 20 point jump. But it would still be the second best of his career. That's how good the defense is. I just don't know that he's going to get the historically great uh, defense yet again. And then, like you said, with the left on base rate, those are two factors. And plus, even though he has been a workhorse, you know, he's always good for 200-something innings. It's usually low 200s, whereas Verlander uh, can really run it up there. Last year, back on track and fully healthy, he went to 227 and two-thirds. Lester was at 202 and two-thirds. So, you know, those extra 25 innings, if all else is equal that's better that's you know 25 more innings of better uh, of equal and ratios struck out and 57 more, more guys struck out 57 more guys than lester did and had a, so while they're you know their strikeout rates are similar you're you great point by you it, you know one guy threw 25 fewer innings and at the end of the season that plays out the 254 strikeouts minus 197 uh, to 197 for Lester. that's that's a big difference so that's that that is part of the reason that I'm going with Verlander too. It's not just the fact that I'm I'm a huge Verlander homer. I just think that he's going to be a little bit better. And if I can get him a few picks later too, that helps as well. It's not much of a difference. It's, it's kind of coin flip when you're looking at 36 versus pick 42. But if I can wait, uh, then I will take the guy who's a little bit cheaper. So I think we're pretty set here that it's Verlander. Let's move on to the next one because I think these next two are going to present a little bit more uh, back and forth in terms of the discussion because these four guys are really interesting pitchers this year. I think think based on what they did last year and, and how they could be this year. Let's start with a couple of young lefties. Steven Matz versus Sean Manaya. Two young lefties, as I mentioned, both uh, going into their age 25 season, coming off of solid seasons last year. Health has been a concern for both throughout their careers. Coming up in the minors, I think both were stunted by health. We didn't really hear too much about Matz as a prospect, uh, probably be in part due to that health. Uh, I know he was a Mets prospect for sure, but not necessarily a top 100 guy, whereas Manaya was a top 100 guy but again was was regularly stunted uh be, because of his health by the way I, w- I want to make clear Matt's did rank in 2015 and tw- and then 2016 because he had only pitched a little bit in 2015 but I think Manaya had several years I'm actually looking it up right now where he came up he was supposed to be you know just a stud and he, remember he was on the 1-1 discussion it, before his hip exactly. surgery uh, he the hadn't hip had that he, had in college. He, he might have gone 1-1 instead he falls down to pick 34 because of injury and, and battled injury throughout he actually has two seasons as well uh, 15 and 16 he did get uh, 14 ranking on baseball perspective so they're actually more equal there than I thought in terms terms of, of their prospect ranking uh, as top 100 guys. So again, two young lefties showed some have shown some great stuff in the majors when they're healthy. Health is the the big worry here. Who you got between Mats and Manaya? Right now, I want to go with Mats uh, because he's more balanced. What concerns me about Manaya is he's got terrible issues against righties. It really shuts down lefties, and and when you look at his his pitch values, 
his fastball is garbage. I mean, the, the slider and the changeup are both very good pitches. The changeup, um, even more so. And look at it, uh, 9.4, the slider's 4.2. And by the way, he's working on making that slider a tighter one and not so loopy mm-hmm. um, this spring. But the fastball, with it being uh, a negative run value um, on the pitch values, to me, that speaks to the command issue. Like, his, his other pitches are good because when he gets ahead, he can use those. But when he falls behind and has to pitch off his fastball, then, the that's, then it's not there. Yeah, you're talking about Manaya, by the way, right? Hit, but the, the, yeah, Manaya, okay. by the way. Uh, when we look at the splits, I mean, last year, his weighted on base average versus lefties, 231. He was practically unhittable. 322 against righties. Uh, 17 of his 20 homers came uh, when righties were at the plate. Um, there's gotta, we got to have some balance. I mean, for a guy that has a changeup of, of that kind of uh, that kind of grade to have these kind of splits issues concerns me. You know what? I think you're making some good points here, and I'm not going to do the, you know, first take thing to just disagree to disagree. I actually think as much as I like Manaya, and I would actually have no problem getting both, uh, even on even on the same team. I'm going to have shares of both because I'm a multi-leaguer, but even in, in, a, in one particular league, I wouldn't mind taking a shot on both, uh, given the health concerns, hoping that one certainly pops, and then, you know, if, if the other gets hurt. So be it, you know, kind of take those two lottery and they're not even lottery tickets, but you know what I mean? Two investments in similarly skilled guys, hoping that one really breaks out. I'm with you. though. I'm going to go with Matt's. Um, I think the the point that I'm going to really hone in on that you're talking about is that fastball command kind of being the difference, because not only does Matt's have a lot more of it, but he also has it at, at about 94 miles per hour on average from the left side compared to 92 miles per hour for Manaya. Now, Manaya can run it up mid-90s. He certainly has that capability, but Matt's is sitting right there in the mid-90s, and I really like the stuff that he has. He's got He's more of a four-pitch guy as well. Uh, doesn't use the slider a ton, but it's there at 9% usage, and so he has the four velocity bands with the velo uh, on the fastball, again, average about 94. You go to the slider, about 87. You go to the change, about 83. By the way, that nice 10-mile-per-hour split, uh, 10 to 11 miles per hour. And then the curveball is a bit more of that slower hammer at 78 on average. So I really like that Matt's is, is – I think he's working with a, just a bit more of a diverse pitch arsenal. Uh, I think the upside is a little bit richer. And, you know – I'm not going to just lean NL on this one because I think that being in Oakland kind of mitigates that. So I'm really just looking at the skills between these two. I'm not, I'm not taking those outside factors necessarily into account, uh, because even on a good Mets, you know, solid Mets team last year, uh, Matt's only went nine and eight. So I'm not even necessarily worried about like wins losses. I'm just looking at raw skills. I also think Matt's could, uh, amp his strikeout rate a little bit more or at least hold it because right now at 8.8, uh, it might look a little suspect with a, a relatively average 10 point, uh, or excuse me, 9.8, which rounded up to 10% swinging strike rate. I think he's got the, the stuff to get more swings and misses to kind of back up his 24% strikeout rate. So if you're building in regression because you see the swinging strike rate for Matt's and you think, eh, that's going to come down a little bit, I would actually say that, that he could add some swing, swinging strikes and hold that strikeout rate. Plus he gets ground balls. I just think there's a lot to like. The health is a concern, but it is for Manaya too. So all else equal there, I think I'm going to go Mats as well. Um, let me give you prices on these guys. These guys aren't. And then while you're doing that, in the National League factor, I'm, one of the points that Jeff Zimmerman brought up, I know he mentioned a few weeks ago with Mats getting the bone spur removed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, He worried about the stability of the elbow. The only reason you have that, that particular bone spur is because of, of – uh, 
stress or friction uh, in the delivery, so that bone spur being taken out, he kind of raised he kind of raised the issue um, that perhaps he's more of a risk for an injury this year. That's Matt's thoughts on that. Yeah, that's really interesting. First off, I love Jeff's stuff. If you're not reading Jeff's stuff, I I just I don't know what, what life decisions you're making. Because they're bad. Didn't he get nominated for like sixty nine award fantasy I think awards? He got this nominated year? For, take home? I think he got nominated for a hockey award and he doesn't even write hockey. I think they just said, you know, you're so good that we believe that if you wanted to do hockey you could do it. So we're gonna give you award an award preemptively. I, I think that, that that actually happened for Jeff Sim. I'm kidding. But I love his stuff. It's really sharp. You gotta be reading him, and I'm just reading that right now about Stephen Matz. That is really interesting. So you know, again, it, it kind of brings the scales back. That, that's why these two are so close. That's why it's a pitcher battle because Stephen Matt's going pick 166 overall, Sean Manaya 171. The difference is minimal, even though there's two pitchers slotted in between them, Julio Urias and Rysel Iglesias. Although Iglesias shows up under SPs, but he's going to be closing, so I don't really count him. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to stick with Matt's. That is very interesting, and that's something to, to factor in. Um, but like I said, I'm going to be getting, a, I'm going to be getting shares of both. I just think that if Matt's can get to that 170 inning, and that's not even a, necessarily a full, full season, right? You know, because usually you're thinking right. a buck 85 plus if you're going to make the 32 turns. If I can just get like 165, 170, I think it could be a really nice season. So I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with Matt's, but Manaya is definitely somebody. First off, I'm kind of impressed, uh, slash bummed that the market is so in on Manaya. I'm bummed because his price is way up there. I actually expected him to be a, a 50 or later guy. He's the 44th SP off the board. So maybe sometimes he's going 50 or later, but I thought he'd come into the season behind guys like, uh, our boy Paxton, uh, Matt Moore, who we, we've talked about in the past, who he goes Rodon. just before Carlos Rodon to name three lefties, but even some righties. I thought he'd go behind McCullers, Gray, Jake Odorizzi. I mean, I'm really surprised that the market's so in on him. So kudos to the market there. That could be an NFBC thing though, because they're, they're a, a sharp group. That's a really, really sharp group. Your home league might not favor Manaya quite as much to the point where you can get Mats and Manaya with a, a, a bigger pick split. You, you, you take Mats where he's going, say pick, you know, 165, and then you get Manaya pick 190. I don't think that that's completely out of bounds in a home league, not to shade anybody's home league, but I do think that the, uh, the, the, this NFBC market, they do push up Breakout potential pitching a little bit more because they're trying to win, uh, you know, they're trying to win the overall. They're trying to get those big hits later on. So we're going, we're both going mats here. Let's, let's see if this lasts. Hey, I'll one. tell you what, uh, article idea may be to take, you know, take the leaderboard and look at the, the weighted fastball, the lowest weighted fastball grades by ADP and then compare it to their ADP. Like I'm, I'm looking at this leaderboard right now or, you know, air quotes leaderboard. Carlos Rodon has a, Negative seventeen point five linear weight on his fastball, his, and he's fastball you know we just said he's just a little bit behind. Guess who had the worst? Worst fastball. Um, Wainwright. We've talked about him a couple of times. Wainwright's number three. Not a bad guess. Uh, James. No, we don't talk about James Shields. He's number nine. Uh, Robbie Ray. No. No, it is Michael Pena. Ah, oh, it was between those two. It was Here, those two Michael guys. Pinata. Here's Michael Pena in a nutshell. Minus 26.6 on the fastball, 
plus 17 too on the slider. It, yeah, it's a, it's a he had the seventh slider. best slider by linear weights. Seventh I best it. slider and the worst fastball. I I, I fully <laughs> believe it, and that's why I continue. You know, the the command issue, and like I know it's tough to really hone in on command and figure out what it is, and that's still something that the community is working on. But watch a few of his starts. Watch the good ones. Watch the bad ones. Even within the good ones, you can see some of that fastball command uh, off. But it's so good sometimes, uh, the, the, the fastball itself, because it's 95 with, with some late life in the uh, top of the zone, that it works even when Brian McCann's moving his glove nine inches to get it. You're like, well, that could have been a mistake, but it's 95 with life, and so it was good. Uh, yeah, that's not surprising. I wish I, I should have gotten that one. That's, that's a fail there. I, I overthought it a little bit. Uh, okay, so we're going Berlander versus Lester, and we're going Mats versus Manaya. Last one here. This is right up your alley, and you know the folks that enjoy when we talk about the Rays are going to love this because it's a current Ray and a former Ray. Jeremy Hellickson versus Alex Cobb. Now, you know, it might look like a mismatch on the surface because Jeremy Hellickson's coming off of a, a, a solid full season, and uh, we haven't seen much out of out of Alex Cobb recently. Though I will say, you know, Alex Cobb's upside is pretty substantial. Uh, he just gets brought down to this level right now because of the health piece, which is completely fair, by the way. I, I, I absolutely agree with him going later, even though I'm, I'm, I'm in on Cobb. He's the 84th pitcher off the board, pick 310. Just above him, Hellickson, uh, 83rd pitcher, 308. So they are, they are dead even there uh, virtually in the ADP situation. How do you feel about these two uh, righties here, Hellickson v. Cobb? I'll tell you what. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Hellickson was surprised surprised me last year. Right? Yeah, you know, I have. I have been crapping on him for a while. I didn't give um, him a second but thought. He last surprised year. last year. I honestly didn't. I I, I want to say I remember being at an auction and somebody got him for like four bucks. I'm like, yeah, enjoy that. <laughs> and you know, you know, in real baseball terms, he was a three win pitcher last year. And here's the thing for me: I would take him over Cobb only because. One of these guys I could put down for 175 innings, and it's not Alex Cobb. It, it, it's just not. It truly isn't. Alex Cobb, you know, we we took him as, what, our SP4 in, in labor? Last year? SP5. No, we took him later. We took him, I want to say SP5. We took him even later. Uh, we got him in the, the 21st or 22nd round. Oh, you're talking about this year. Yeah, yeah, 22nd this round. This year, yeah. Uh, a couple years Last ago, we year, took him as our SP2. Yeah, that was too early. That was a uh, devastation <laughs> uh, that he, he he didn't pitch at all, basically. But yeah, so he's he's our five behind uh, Price, Duffy, Paxton, Nova, Cotton. He's our six. Six. So even I mean, as a six, it's it's a wild card in that kind of format, anyhow. So I'm, I'm not I'm not really even sweating that. And he went uh, uh, around after Helixson, Plus by the, the way. reserves, Sorry. we have Tyler Anderson um, in the reserves. Yeah. Uh, for that one. So that's really what it comes down to for me is I would rather have Helix in here um, because using that, that volume argument, he's going to pitch more. Thus, uh, even though there may be a, a slight difference in strikeout rate, it's going to be made up by the fact he's going to pitch more. Uh, you know, when, when Cobb's healthy, he's going to strike out more guys. But again, I, I'm looking at 160 innings for Cobb max and Hellickson could go 190 again like he did last year, and that's going to make up your difference. You know, Hellickson struck out 154 last year, and um, Cobb has never struck out more than 150. Wow. You know, that makes sense, though, because he's never pitched more than – he never even reached 175 innings, right? Never reached 167 innings. Oh, wow. So it's 166 is his max. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I love Cobb. It's just – 
that that health piece has uh, just been, you know, he, he had two. The other thing is there's no upside with Hellickson. Go look at his last couple of years. You know where the strikeout rate's going to mm-hmm. be. It's going to be about league average for starting Solid pitcher. Walk He's going to walk two and a half. He's going to give up this 1.1 homers. Uh, last year, the ERA was was down below three for the first time in, four. in three seasons. Or four, I'm sorry, down below four. And, and nothing really changed there other than. I don't know what changed because He's, the batting average and balls in play came down a little bit, but his strand rate was about the same. Uh, he, he did bring down his walks a little bit. The fly balls changed, the home run, the fly ball, all of that was about the same. Yeah, better so sequencing. Not much really changed there. I think, I think he had some better sequencing there, um, not only with the sequence of events, but also some of the sequencing with his pitching for Hellickson. That changeup seemed to be, uh, Better, you know, he's always he's always great pitch, man. Yeah, he's it always really been change up heavy. When he throws it. And uh, I think I think he kind of lost it a little bit in in the last year with the Rays, and then the year with the Diamondbacks, and I think he found it a bit more last year. I think I remember some MLB breakdowns kind of talking about it. I think he also, yeah, I'm looking at it now. He incorporated the weights, cutter. Man, it was one of the better changeups. What's that? It was eleven and a half. It was eleven point five. It was his that and his curveball were his two positive run value pitches. That that totally makes sense. Um, and and think about back when he was really good at the beginning of his Rays career, it was the changeup really carrying him, and and making that fastball better than it was. I'm I'm gonna take Cobb here, and I think the argument that you make about volume is totally gettable. I I, I completely understand that. Uh, I think that that is 100% fair. But I'm gonna take what I think might be closer to 150 innings of Cobb. Uh, versus the the 180-190 of Helixson, because I think Helixson's going to head back up over the four mark. And I think that the ratios are where I'm going to win here. The volume of strikeouts, I, I do think Helixson will win that, because even Cobb's strikeout rate being a bit better um, on, on average than, than Helixson's is not going to – it's not such a difference. It's usually like 2 3% uh, at the max between those two is not going to be enough to compensate for 30 to 40 more innings. But I think those ratios – being worse for 30 to 40 more innings isn't going to hurt, while Cobb, I think, is going to be more of a, a mid-threes with a strong whip sort of guy, kind of like his career numbers. He's 344, 122. I think he can reach that this year for 145, 150 innings with a 22% strikeout rate, 21, 22% strikeout rate, and I think that those ratios uh, will kind of be the edge over Helixson. Um, so I'm, I'm going to take him. It's it's not a definitive thing. I, I'm I, I just want to go for a little bit more of the upside. As you mentioned, there is none with Helixson. So I think this late, unless I've already got an, an so I'm going to fence it a little bit. If I, if I already got an upside laden, uh, rotation where I am taking Mats and Manaya and, you know, I got Cotton and I got Fulmer, you know, I'm like super young. Then I might take somebody who I'm just wanting, wanting the innings from like Helixson. But I'm gonna usually that that's a hypothetical that I just don't think will happen. I usually build a little bit more right. diverse rotations anyway, and so I think at that point I can take the upside. So I'm gonna go Cobb, um, and again, not just to be first taking and, and make sure we have one disagreement. I, I don't think it would have been a problem if we would agreed on all three. But I, I just I I still love Cobb, and I still am hoping that okay, last year he got back on a mound. He knows what it feels like. It was it went poorly. Who cares? Let's get back to being the guy that we saw in 2013-2014 now uh for 22 to 25 starts and I would I would certainly take that. And now if he if he's that guy then it's going he's going to win in a walk away cuz he had a 276 ERA and a 287 ERA in 13 and 14, but uh I'm thinking more mid threes with a good whip. So I'm taking Cobb. All right. And a disagreement and not like I and not like I would want to redo 
the pick that we made in labor either. Again, when you're picking that late, it's up. It's about upside. Yeah, because we would have had to take Helixson. We would have had to take Helixson when we took um, Cotton actually to get him because he went in the 21st round before we picked, and and it, so we can't even just change our Reddick pick. We would have had to change the, I'm not even the Cotton there, but, pick. Yeah, um, and. Uh, and so I'm happy to get Cobb around later. With so we went Cotton Reddick Cobb as opposed to say it would have been maybe like Helixson. Maybe we still get Reddick, and then I don't know. Well, you know, if we if we'd have even taken another pitcher there, we probably wouldn't have taken Cobb. Maybe we would have taken I don't know Trevor Plouffe who went that round. Uh, Andrew hmm. Tolls. I don't know. Doesn't matter. I like the trio that we got. I'm comfortable with that. Um, do you think Helixson gets traded this year? They signed him. He's in his walk here. Um, he took the qualifying, he's right? He's going to get traded. Well, he took the QO. Did he? Yes, you're right. You're right. So he can't get he can't get qualified. I don't think he can be doubled up. I always forget the way the rules. I, I, I don't work. think he can either, but I honestly don't know. If somebody knows, they can they can leave a message uh, in the comments of of the post or or hit us up on Twitter at Spore at Jason Collette. Let us know. But either way, you know. This is not, this is a team that I think will be decent again. Uh, you know, decent for what, what they're doing. Decent, cause they were 71-91 last year. They had a couple good months, and then it, we all knew, everyone paying attention knew that they were gonna fall off, because they just didn't have the horses, namely the, the bullpen just wasn't good enough. I think they're gonna be a little bit better on that. They're gonna kinda build on it. They're gonna be like a mid to upper 70s win team this year, again, which is decent for the pr- progression that they're on. I'm not s- sitting here saying that 20 games under 500 is good or anything. I'm just saying, they're inching their way up. You don't want to be too good either when when you when you don't really have a chance. Like, what is the point of winning 80 as opposed to you know 75 if the difference is four or five picks? I would rather have the four you know be, be a little bit closer, have the bigger bonus pool for uh, well, for draft picks. But either way, I think they'll yeah. be okay. Well, here's the other thing. I, I maybe you can maybe you can be offered another qualifying if he wants to go year to year. But let's be honest, last year was seventeen two. The or the qualifying is going to be something like 19, close to nineteen yeah. million dollars. Phillies aren't doing that. They're not gonna. They're not giving Jeremy Hellicks a nineteen million dollars to pitch. Not unless he repeats. And, uh, he would. Have- no, I was. You know, I, I was laughing at my friends uh, that he that he ended up getting it this year because he was making uh, he was making seven million last year, and then he takes. Then he takes the uh, the qualifying offer, so now he's making uh, a nice chunk of change. And then will he do it again? No, I mean his he's a seven. He went from seven million to seventeen two by nice. accepting that qualifying offer. That's nice. Yeah, by the way, let's say he has a, a very similar year. It, it, the ERA inches up a little bit. He's a he's a three eight nine guy um, in in another one hundred and ninety innings or so. Um. And they do offer the qualifying offer. If you're him, do you automatically take it, or do you try to get that three-year deal? Even though you're not going to get three years and you know uh, eighteen and a half per all three years, uh, let's say you get a three-year. I don't know. Rich Hill got it. Well, Rich Hill's way better. Um, but but he got it. Do you think Helixson would get like a three-year, fifty-six million dollar offer? Let's just say this. Let's say he, he won't. Let's say it's more three years, 42. And obviously you can't know what you're going to get before you have the qualifying, you know, you have to make the decision. All right, so he got three, he got three, Nova got 326. I think that's Helixson's floor. If if Nova can get that from the Pirates at 326, mm-hmm. Helixson could get that. So does, but does he take his chances to get a three-year deal 
if he has another solid season. Let's say it's even above four. Let's say he's a 412 ERA, but it's for 200 innings this year. And we know how much the league values innings, even though fantasy, you don't automatically just say that that's, you know, you don't necessarily want a 412 ERA just because it's 200 innings. But in the, in the real market, that'd be worthwhile. Would you rather take the 19, 18 and a half, 19 mil, whatever it goes up to for the one year and bet on yourself again, or take your chances to try to get a three year, $42 million deal? What would you do? Uh, I wouldn't bet on myself. I would not want to bet on myself twice. Um, you know, he did it this year. I mean, to me, the concern is he goes down that James Shields track mm-hmm. where, you know, if you think about Shields, he got his deal. And then Shields started falling apart after year one of his deal. Yeah. Um, if you look at the, uh, the age track record, it would be about the same. So my concern is, you know, he bets on himself again. He starts going down the, going down that path and then, uh, it goes down. I mean, I mean, this is who he's up against next year in the free agent class. Sabathia, Lackey, Arietta, Estrada, Liriano, Jimenez, Garza, Colon. Um, it's his market. I mean, you go, if somebody's going to pay Arietta, and then it's Helix. Yep. So I would be stunned if he doesn't, if he accepts a qualifying offer because he's, just, you could make the case that he's the second best starting pitcher out there on the free agent market. This is, uh, interesting, by the way. Had no idea this was the case. Talk, he actually, Helixson's talking about his qualifying offer as the top story on MLB Trade Rumors right now. I just looked over at the site because I was <laughs> going to look at the uh, that free agent list along with you. And the very top story is about how he decided to do that. He says, I feel I made the right decision. And seeing how it all went down, I definitely feel like I made the right decision now. Uh, only three free agent starters, Rich Hill, Ivan Nova, and Volk has ended up scoring deals worth more than his 172 uh, qualifying offer and they obviously they needed two and three year deals uh, in the first few days i said i was set on declining it there really wasn't too much stress involved but then after hearing scott boris uh after the gm meetings i didn't know what i was going to do and then ultimately as the market developed he decided to take it so and only one two three four five pitchers scored multi-year deals this year is that crazy Hill, nova volquez charlie morton and jason hamill it That's was it. it was a, a weird market it was it was it was just a, such a weird market there. So that that will and next year's is going to be kind of interesting too because it's not it's not sexy, you know. Strasburg no. Strasburg was supposed to be this next year, right? He would have been this yes. this upcoming winter. Um, so obviously he got taken off the board. Do you think any of those ones that you named will all, like you think Arietta will sign or will he go into the market? I he's I think he's got to test his market value unless Theo and company are like yeah here's a nice big fat extension yeah they back up um, the truck which I don't know that they no. should do necessarily oh Michael Pineda will be on the market he's gonna get a ten year deal oh there you go I'm sorry sorry Helix is now the number three guy yeah oh and Jared oh, Weaver Buckholz. dude come on Helix is now number four you, you forgot all the good guys here Jared Weaver Josh Tomlin oh Josh Tomlin has a three million dollar option he's so sweet. Clayton Richard. There's so many studs. The market's rich. Okay. Sorry, I'm wasting time. Deep. Let's talk Orioles. Baltimore Orioles. Interesting team from a fantasy standpoint, for sure. Uh, but it's mostly tied to offense, of course. We, we love that park. Uh, you and I are known. We'll take anybody in that park to just run into 20 homers. Um, so, you know, the focus is going to be offense here, but we're going to have a few pitching questions. And then the, the prospects section, if you, if you blink, if you ear blink, if you shut your ears off for like a, a second, you might miss it for the prospect se- section because it's bad. 
they don't have prospects. So we're going to focus on on the Major League Ball Club here. Let's just start at the very top with their stud, their first-round guy, Manny Machado. Definitely in that first-round mix for sure with the other third baseman. Great player. Kind of disappointed folks last year. The market is not showing that disappointment, though. They're, they're, they're undaunted by the fact that he went from 20 steals to literally zero. Uh, that was kind of rough because he was supposed to be this power speed guy. Even those that were regressing it were saying, okay, well, we're going to get like 13 steals and it'll be 35 homers and 13 steals with a 285 to 295 average. Well, the 290, you know, up the average 294, that average was there. The homers were there, 37, ribbies, 96, 105 runs. Everything was there. A big fat goose egg in stolen bases. A, should we have seen this coming? B, age 24 coming into this year does he start running again i don't know if we should have seen it coming uh a managerial tendencies are one thing but it was you know they just as a team just stopped running i think what do they have 23 steals as a team it, it, something ridiculously I'll, I'll low up. i'll confirm it but it was it was comical how low and you know part of it is the fact that they're just such a slugging team like why run your it was 19 19 stolen bases. 19. Okay. Uh, so wow. why run your, why run yourself into outs? I kind of get that. Um, you know, he was only 10 for 17 the three years before, before going for 20 for 28 there. I don't know if it was something where he just wanted to say, Hey, I can go 35, 20 and, and be a beast. And then I, I showed that I can do that. Now I'm not, I, I don't know, but they're going to be another slugging stud team this year. Again, he's going to, he's going to be in the middle this of the lineup. doesn't run. They, they, they've over the past three years they've stolen 54 fewer bases than the next worst team, which is the Cardinals. Wow! They are one of three teams that have a combined uh, stolen base total below 200 over the past three years. The Mets, the Cardinals, and the Orioles. And they, again, the Orioles are way down there. So I don't know. When you look at the lineup that's in front of them, uh, the the mostly everyday lineup, if they're going to have Seth Smith bat second, and and Smith does a good job of getting on base Mm -hmm. in front of you, and he's going to be on, maybe he gets on seconds. I don't know where, I don't know. I I don't see 10 steals coming. I have a tough time. I never would have said 20 to zero, but I'm not willing to go 20 to zero to 12 either. Yeah. But it's not going, it's not going to, he's going to, Let's see. Bold prediction: He's going to steal more bases than he stole last year. <laughs> whoa, um, whoa, whoa! Easy killer. Whoa, yeah. oh, crazy, crazy. Uh, so he'll do a, he'll do a little better there, but uh, everything else is going to be awesome. And you know, do I regret not taking him when we had the opportunity in labor? No, I still don't regret not taking him with the tenth pick. Um, but no, because we got he's that still speed. a first rounder. Uh, absolutely. That that's the beauty of Manny Machado is that. Even if he quote unquote only does the, the 35, 95, 295, 100 runs. First off, he could add RBIs. No one would be surprised if he goes 40, 100 with 100 I, runs. I kind of would be because uh, I, I'm not a believer in Adam Jones leading off. I was actually going to ask a question about Adam Jones that I forgot to put on the rundown. So let me just ask you now. Like, so, so are, are you, are you down on him then? Because his price has come way down now or not way down, but like, down for, for him you know remember a couple of years ago they were talking fringe first round for for adam jones definitely more of a, a compiler plays all the time is solid but unspectacular virtually across the board now pick 117 on average uh 27th outfielder off the board you're not comfortable with him leading off how how comfortable are you with him in general so i i think i made the the point i don't know if i did it in audio or, or written format 
for the price, I would rather have Adam Jones or Andrew McCutcheon. I see them both on the same kind of career path. And, and, and this year with Jones, you know, he's played just about every day for the last five or six years. Last year was the first time that he missed some time. And it used to be with Adam Jones, you could just put, you know, 280, yep. uh, you know, 280, 30, or just put the numbers down the projections and maybe tweak it like one or two steals, one or two home runs. And he, he was money in the bank. And then last year that fell off a little bit for the first time. He was still on, uh, on track with the, with the homers and, and the, the ribbies. In fact, uh, or no, it was two years ago that it fell off that you're talking about. He had uh, 137 games two years ago, 152 this Sorry. year. So he had bounced back. But he's been that solid guy. He doesn't really run anymore. 12 combined steals. Again, this team does not run. So that's interesting because McCutcheon is three rounds more expensive. So I get your your point here, especially with McCutcheon no longer running. Yeah, so that's where I, that's where I see these two. So for the price, I I haven't taken McCutcheon yet in anything, and I haven't gotten been able to get the Jones yet either. But I'd be willing to wait for McCutcheon to get to a Jones. I just think he's a terrible fit for leadoff. We're talking about a guy, um, you know, he hasn't had a, an OBP above three twenty in four years. Uh, and this is not a good way to set the table. I do like Seth Smith. I'd almost be willing to put Seth Smith in the leadoff spot when they're facing righties and go that way. But this this is what this team lacks. It lacks a, a true leadoff hitter. Perhaps maybe you go, maybe you use Kim and use Smith to set up that lineup. But then where do you bat Jones? All of a sudden, now you're putting Jones down in the sixth spot and because you're not going to move Machado Davis or Trumbo. So he either has to hit first, second, or sixth. And that, that's kind of my conundrum with uh, with Jones and yeah. for this team, and that's kind of where if I'm looking to uh, to ding Machado a little bit, I'm worried about his RBI opportunities because okay. they don't have the true leadoff hitter. Okay, that's I mean, fair. I don't so, think they had him last year because they were using Joey Rickard well, uh, for a while last year. To your point, he had that excellent season and did not get 100 ribbies. He got 96. And if, if I'm telling you 696 plate appearances, 105 runs, 37 homers, 294 average, 533 slug, how many RBIs? If you don't know anything else, is there any chance anybody's saying anything below 100? No. And I mean, he got 96. As we know, RBIs are a skill of opportunity. And uh, he lacked opportunities last year. Exactly. And I know he's only four short, but honestly, I think most guesses, if you just put those numbers out there, would probably be closer to 110 even. I think people would be saying, oh, well, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's one of the RBI leaders. And instead he got 96. So if you're still concerned about that, that is, that is particularly interesting, uh, with regards to Machado. But again, all that talk, we're not saying he's not a first rounder. He's a set, steady first rounder. I think that his hitting ability, uh, you know, he's going to have that one year where everything kind of breaks in his favor, Babbitt wise. And I think he's going to hit 320 one year as well. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but that's what you keep betting on. Or that's why you keep taking him because there is upside. Even if he goes 40, 90, but with a three, 300 plus average, that would be super elite. So we like Machado. Don't, no need to belabor that point. Let's move on to the, uh, Hey, could we, well, I would like to raise one thing. Okay. So if we use, um, you know, some indicators uh, of seasons like that. So if we say we're looking at guys that had, um, I was playing around with play index while you were talking. Play index. So, uh, and by the way, uh, kudos to Sean Foreman and the guys for the redesign <sighs> on baseball reference. It is so freaking awesome. And biggest part, mobile. The mobile, mobile is, is much usable now. more usable because they had their like mobile design. I literally never use it. I would always say show desktop and then it's just difficult because it's so tiny and you're pinching and it, it was just a pain in the butt. But now it's it, awesome. It truly really was. Anyway, now, uh, yeah, it truly really was. I wanted to look. There's there's not a way to do line. I don't believe I don't see a way to sort by lineup position. 
So that kind of, um, I see defensive position. I don't see word batting order. That's not up the spot, but what I wanted to, what I wanted to raise here is guys that had at least 680 plate appearances and, uh, and slugged at least 530. So using a little bit of cherry picking here, mm-hmm. but your lowest RBI totals, a lot of these guys are leadoff guys. I mean, uh, another guy that comes like, uh, Alfonso Soriano had 95 with the Nationals. The one year I believe he had leadoff in that, that year. Was Jimmy Rollins shows up. Cano shows up on this in 2012 with the Yankees. I think he was hitting second most of that time. Uh, Freddie Freeman with 91 last year. I think Freddie Freeman's a good comp for that because uh, you know he hit third in that lineup and all the all the great season that Freddie Freeman had, and he didn't drive in 100 runs either. I think that's a that's probably the best recent comp that we have. There's a Hanley Ramirez year one year, but I don't know where he hit he in the lineup here with the uh, with the Marlins. He probably hit back first. to back years. Back to back years, he had all those plate appearances. And slugged over 500 and drove in 67 and 81 runs respectively. That's got to be hitting first. I can I can look that up for you, but that's I. I, I but the Freddie Freeman because we knocked Freddie Freeman going into last year. We said you know that's who why. the hell is he going to drive yep, in? That's and this exactly was, why. This was it. And I, I kind of that's kind of my fear here with with uh, with Machado. If you want like uh, if if we wanted to uh, put some kind of side bet on him reaching 100 RBI, I say no. How do you rank the stud first uh, third baseman then with with Machado? Uh, Bryant, Donaldson, and Arenado. How do you, how do you slot them? How do I slot? I want I want Arenado first. Same. I want Bryant second. Same. I want I want Donaldson third and Machado fourth. Same. Same. Okay. I believe uh, I believe uh, I believe my rankings show. I know the first two are correct. I might have Donaldson and Machado flip. All but... four of them should be gone in a twelve-team mixed league by the end of the first round. Uh, they should be gone probably before pick ten. If you get pick ten in a twelve-teamer, I'm not sure that you should have a chance at any of them. And if you do, yeah, don't do what we do, kids. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't don't take trade. No, um, I'm actually listen. We've been having to defend that pick. People are some people are clowning us. I still feel very comfortable with the pick. I wanted Harper. I really wanted Harper to fall to us. I'm, oh God! Especially betting on that home run we saw the other day. Yeah, I'm oh, I'm betting on a Harper Jesus. rebound hard. Um, everyone is, by the way. I'm not out on a limb. He's the tenth pick. He has he has that down year and and moves down all of seven picks. So I'm not on a, on a limb there. But I just don't think Trey Turner has to be as quite as good as some folks think to be a first rounder because of that speed and the way we value speed in this game. Um, and the way, you know, runs scored also a little bit of an underrated stat. I think with those two aspects, I don't think he needs to repeat his power, but we've, we don't need to belabor that. We've talked about it before. Um, uh, let's, let's stick with the Orioles here. Let's talk about some guys who are power, very powerful. In fact, that's all they do really, but that's okay because it's at such a level that it makes them great, uh, at least fantasy wise. First off, what's the encore for Mark Trumbo look like? Um, you can get to that, and then it'll lead into the next question. With it, are you taking Mark Trumbo pick seventy or Chris Davis pick eighty three? So Trumbo and Davis, how do you feel about him? Um, I'm in the Davis camp. I think oh. Trumbo played about as well as he could possibly play last year. We wait for and... that shoe to drop, and it never did. I know. We we talked about it. We said, "Oh, it's going to drop any day now," and it never did. Yeah, um, same kind of thing with us. with Nelson Cruz when it never dropped for Nelson Cruz either when he was there. Um, that said, I mean we've we've seen enough of what the Mark Trumbo, what what everything looks like for him in the past, and I mean they're they're similar. 
I don't know. I just I hate buying guys off big years like that. I hear that's you. Really what, that's really that's what scares me. You, you don't um, want to you know, buy Davis, an age 30 breakout. Correct. Correct. I mean, that that's really what scares me. But then I, then again, I was scared about Nelson Cruz when he ran to Seattle. I was like, forget it. Well, I got burnt there. I should have I should have gotten back in. And even though he's my guy. I was going to say so that's your boy, to too. You, you were on, for those that don't know, Jason was on this the Nelson Cruz train early. We're talking like the lingering early. parts of his time with Milwaukee. He was saying if this guy ever got a chance. Then he goes over to Texas and starts getting a chance. And uh, wasn't it an NFBC league that you were in? pairing with somebody and you said yeah this, it was a Ted Carlson a Ted this has to be my pick like I'm this must happen um maybe maybe I overstated it with the Milwaukee no part. no no there there, were, there was gonna be uh arm wrestling match yeah and I would have wanted like, to. this has to happen and I think it was that 2009 season when he busted out 33 homers 20 stolen bases 260 average y'all jumped him a little bit more than the ADP by you know maybe two like three five four rounds. rounds yeah I mean it was it was a jump but that was a, a flag plant guy. So, but I don't really crush you for, for backing off a little bit after an age 33 breakthrough too, because even that, you know, uh, was a bit of a breakout because not only was it his best season, uh, from, from like a, a overall production standpoint, but he finally stayed healthy at age 33. So I think it made sense. He's been a bit of an outlier now for two more years being excellent with Seattle. And I really like Nelson Cruz. I'm with, I, I have concerns about Trumbo as well, and it's not just because, you know, I waited for that shoe to drop and it never happened. It's like we said though, he's an age 30 breakout, kinda has been what he, what he is, what he is. It's gonna hit 47 again. The power's gonna be there. I'm not really concerned about that. I just don't know that it's gonna be at that same level. 47, you know, I, th I think he can drop 10 to 15 homers and it wouldn't be that surprising because he had a 24% homer to fly ball ratio. Now, if he's changed something substantial, uh, that, that has adjusted his launch angle and he, he, he knows how to keep that homer to fly ball ratio above 20%, then we're, we're going to be wrong and he's going to hit 40 plus homers and I think his batting average will be better than Chris Davis's because my batting average would be better than Chris Davis's because that's obviously his big flaw, but I, I I think for a round cost difference, I think you do have to go with Davis just because they're very similar. And so give me the round savings, even though the batting average is, is such a large discrepancy. I will, uh, I, I will take my chances on Davis there. Uh, if you're pet, then I mean, well, Eno wrote some stuff about Trumbo and talked about how he did make some changes, some, uh, some different things with launch angle, uh, and whatnot. And it's, if you go to Trumbo's page and so I think it's a, third or fourth link there it's something you can look at uh for that but if we get back to the the earlier point if davis is going to hit cleanup and he's going to hit behind machado what's going to be left for trumbo to drive in mm -hmm. you know that's kind of my thing i as long as davis is hitting in front of trumbo i want davis if it was the other way around i would take trumbo well and i i think it makes sense to to do you know not every team wants to go right left or has to go right left right left but if you're going to go jones smith Machado makes sense to put Davis there to go, get the right left right left on your first four uh, batters. This team is all about this team is all about taking advantage of of its park's dimensions. Yep. I mean it's all righty and that park is favors right-handed fly ball hitters and this team is loaded with them. Trumbo, Scope, Castillo, um Hardy doesn't lock the ball much Not anymore. Much anymore. Jones, I mean these guys Machado this is it, it's this this team is built for its park. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now it's poorly constructed for defense, um, but it's built first part. Let's uh, let's talk about a guy that you mentioned there, Castillo, their newcomer. Um, got got him behind the dish. They they were done with Matt Weeders, who finally signed 
Uh, actually going to be very, very, very much in the area there at Washington, but uh, no longer with the club. So they went ahead and get beef Castillo. We know that Castillo's not known for his his behind the plate, uh, you know, work. But Matt Wieters, Wieters fell off. Yeah, he wasn't that good either. So they're not even necessarily taking a major hit there necessarily. Meanwhile, they get a guy now who who's really starting to show some stability at the dish with his power. Now, is this going to be their power breakout? Because they seem to find one every year. We just talked about Trumbull. You mentioned Cruz. Chris Davis, when he came over, was was their guy. Steve Pierce. Um, this guy wasn't a power guy, but Nate McLeod had the breakout with them. They, they get these these finished product sort of guys in their late 20s, early 30s who end up being breakouts. And it is a lot due to that park. I, I freely, you know, that 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 is what it is. And he's coming from Arizona, which is a good park too. But there's something about Camden Yards that, that just really seems to set some of these guys off. Is Castillo going to be that guy this year and, you know, go from 14 homers to like 20, you know, 20 to 22 or something, which would be amazing at catcher. How do you feel about him? He- He's got to reverse the fly ball rate. I mean, he, he has a, uh, a three-year trend here of his fly ball rate declining from 40 to 40 to 33% last year. Um, so, no, he can't take advantage of this park if he's not going to put more loft into the baseball. Okay. Uh, if he can, if he can get back there. I mean, he had a uh, he had 19 home runs in 2015 with a 40% fly ball rate. Uh, you look at his his home run to fly ball ratio for his career. He's a 13% guy. Last year he was 14. The season before he was 19. So we know he was a little high there. But he should get a lot of playing time uh, here. And if he can get the loft back in his swing, maybe he's got a chance to to get to the uh, get to 20 homers that he's never hit in his career. But he's also last year the 457 plate appearances were his career best. That was my next question. Uh, is he, yeah, uh, how much playing time is he going to get? Yes. Because you know DH is not he's going to have to catch to play, um, and I don't know if he gets any more than four fifty to four seventy plate appearances. And I, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I don't. I, maybe I can look it up quickly, but I, I feel like uh, Caleb Joseph is a better catch and throw guy, and so I could see him stealing some time. The eye test says yes. Yeah. I mean, I've seen I've seen him play enough. The eye test, he's definitely better behind the plate. So I feel like that that's going to be a, a, a bit of an issue for for Castillo, where he's going to lose time. You know, I could see Joseph maybe uh, caddying like a Dylan Bundy or maybe a Gossman. Maybe they let maybe his two starts a week are for the two you know emerging guys who can really break through, and then the guys that are a little bit more steady in terms of not necessarily steady, but like they, they are what they are. Tillman. Miley and, and Ubaldo, they can get they can get beef. They're like, you know what? The thing is with this team, starters are going to play, man. I mean, Ricard, Joey Ricard, Ricard, whatever you want to call him, is going to platoon with Seth Smith and right field, and that's or they need another guy. Maybe it's uh, I don't know what they're going to do with Kim. You got to get a you got to find a platoon partner for him too. Well, we're actually going to um, talk about both those platoon guys in a moment. I don't know what the, I don't know what else they're gonna do. It's not like like you said the prospect situation is really 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 thin unless they want to call up Trey Mancini. Um, he was looking and, like and try to play him in left field. Yeah, he was looking like he was gonna be the the first base slash DH before Trumbo came back. That's why it made sense to bring Trumbo back because roster resource had Trey Mancini slotted in as a starter. I'm like this team is too close to, I mean, they're, they're still contending to have Trey Mancini just take 500 plate appearances. That's not going to happen. This is the roster. I mean, at this point, if, if they were going to do something, they would have already done it. Yep. This is the team they have. I agree. So it, that's where it's kind of tough to look at it and say, okay, who, you know, they got Anthony Santander as, as a room five. Pick. Yeah, I don't know who that is. 
I'm not gonna lie. It's a rule. I mean, the rule five it worked last year for them with Joey Rickard, and I mean that worked out for them. Uh, it's surprising. I remember crafting on the move, saying, you know, how is that gonna work out? But it did uh, for them. Santander so, is a 22 year old who that's what Rickard was had a hell of a season last year: two ninety three sixty eight four ninety four with twenty homers, ninety five ribbies, ten stolen bases. But it was in high A as a 21 year old, so he was right around that cusp about you know not too old, but like. He was certainly one of the more mature guys in the high A, and so you have to go from high A to the majors. So, I mean, do you? I mean, are, are they willing to put both he and Rickard out there in the that lineup and time. hit him eight nine and hit him like eight nine against lefties? Yeah. Because Smith and Kim can't do it. That's not their job. Get him out of the lineup. Well, let's talk about those two then. Who do you like better for an AOE, Yunsu Kim or Seth Smith? Two lefties I, and like crush righties. I'm sorry to jump in. I like Smith because he's going to hit high in the lineup. Yes. That's really the big difference between these two. Similar skills. I mean, Kim does did a really good job. Uh, you know, once he went what oh for 150 in spring, Remember when and they were talking about sending him back. They were trying to send him to ship him. They were going to deport they him. He looked good. I saw a bunch of his at bats last year in the second half, and I liked the way he looked. But this all comes down to where he hits in the lineup and we're talking about two guys that are not going to play against lefties. So it's t- you're looking when I look at every day strong side platoon guys i'm thinking 475 plate appearances yeah. so right then and there it makes them really tough to own it in a mixed league uh in a, in a 12 team mixed league they're almost impossible to own in a 15 to 18 18 yes 15 reserve um reserve capacity but now we're talking about al only types then we've got to look at how they're going to help you across the board and that's where smith is he's going to hit high in that lineup he's going to hit in between a Jones and Machado, really nice spot for him, and that's why I I go Smith. He here. seems to have more punch too. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, he's an older Matt Joyce. I've been saying this for that's years. A, that's a good that's a good call. By the way, Matt Joyce could be pretty interesting um, out in Oakland this year after his his Buster season. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see what or a reemergent season I should say not not really a breakthrough, but uh, yeah, I think you're gonna get it. it Maybe it maybe it depends on team need at that point too. If you're really looking for some batting average, you go with Kim. But if you're really looking for the more power impact sort of guy, plus like you said, the the volume is going to be better up there at the top of the lineup with Seth Smith. So maybe that could be your 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 factor uh, as well. But I'm going to go with Smith in a vacuum um, as, as well. But keep an eye on Kim because if he ends up moving up and and gets to get some second hole uh, at bats against righties, that could help. Of course, I think that would probably need a Smith injury though, because I, I think they got Smith to be the number two guy there. Uh, all right, let's shift over to the pitching. Cause there are a couple pitching questions here. Um, are you betting on a Kevin Gaussman breakout or is it uh, what you see is what you get with the 26 year old? And we talk about Gaussman so much. It feels like he plays for the Tigers, right? Oh, the Tigers or the, or the, or Rays. the Rays. Yes. Uh, now I, I, I think there's another level to him. If you watched him pitch in the second half, you saw that starting to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm maybe not as excited for him as you are, <laughs> but I'm not far behind him either. Um, it just you, you've seen the, the the stuff coming along, coming along, and I think we're going to see it. I mean, in the second half, he was limiting limiting guys to a 250 average, was keeping the ball in the park for the most part. I mean, he does. He still needs something. Still needs something to handle the uh, the opposite-handed hitters, but I think there's another level here to him. Uh, obviously, you already kind of mentioned the same-handed it. hitters. I'm sorry, the same-handed, I mean, the righties. I mean, because he's got the splitter. It just he's having issues. It's weird when you start stacking righties against him and you get away with it. Right? Yeah, it, yeah. it is kind of interesting. Um, 
he needs to keep the ball in the park, right? He, he needs to start working on his command. He's got he's got some control. He's got great stuff, but the command is the next piece that to, to, to come. And, and maybe it is a few more walks uh, where you say, okay, don't give in here. Let the guy take take his base, and then you can get out of it because he, he's stranded runners at an above average rate for most of his career. His first season, he had trouble with it. Last year, he was up at eighty one percent. Uh, you gotta stop giving up so many homers. But yeah, everyone knows that I really like Kevin Gosman. I think he's gonna be an, uh, a leap year sort of guy. I think this is, this is the time. Uh, if it doesn't happen, I'm gonna fully blame it on Baltimore though and, and their inability to develop pitchers. I'm never go, never going to blame Gosman. I'm gonna always just blame him. It is a weird, team. it is a weird thing. I mean, he's got, he's got the fastball, he's got the slurve, he's got the that's splitter. Splitty, yeah. And, and it's just against the righties, it's just not, you know, it's just not all there, and I don't know if, if you know, they obviously the, the 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 elephant in the room is Baltimore and and the cutter. I mean, Bundy yes. is allowed to throw it again this year, and I'm, I'm I know we'll get to him in a second, but this is a pitch that Galsman sorely needs, and I don't know why. Maybe it just they're a little concerned with him, or maybe he just doesn't have the feel for it. it. Perfect, but though. to me, when I see a righty struggling with stuff, and he's already got, he either has to be willing to throw the right on right changeups. Or get get another pitch in there, and the cutter would be the easiest one for him to pick up. Because you know he's throwing it; oh, he'd be throwing it over ninety. Like his his cutter would not drop to like 80, 85, 86. I think he'd be throwing it ninety one, ninety three. Just a few. and he could be in on the hands. I mean, he could be in on the hands with it, or throw it at throw it at the dudes, and then let it come in on the inside corner, yep. or get it where you know set it off to the edge of the plate, and then uh, let them go chase it. You know those types of things, and like you said, it could come in, it could come in nice and hard too, uh, and that would be a nice thing for him. But when I'm looking, I'm uh, pulling up his Brooks baseball and saying, what is he using against righties? In my head, I can see it. Um, I just tried to think, yeah, he's he's not even he's throwing the 65% fastballs, and he's he's basically 83% fastball breaking ball against righties. He need he needs he's something. Got splitter the split change is like 13%, so it's there. But to me, it's he must be you know only using it when he's way ahead of the account. To me, I, this needs a cutter. I think it, I think it'd be really good. Let's transition into Dylan Bundy then, because uh, we're both in on Gossman. He's going to get his cutter back. This is a guy who had all the hype coming up. You know, had that first year where he just blitzed through the minors, made even a little brief appearance in the majors. And he's been dealing with injuries pretty much ever since. And so it was a long road back, and yet he made it last year. And then there was concerns last year because they couldn't hide him in, in the minors to make sure he got every fifth day starts. Um, and, and so they were going to have to use him in the bullpen. But I think they managed it well. They, they had him in the bullpen early, then they transitioned him into the rotation. He ended up making 14 starts, 109 and two-thirds innings total. The strikeouts were there. Um, you know, He had his issues also with home runs. But I'd say it was a pretty nice growth year, and he is still just age 24 this year. So there's still a lot to like with Dylan Bundy. That cutter was a pitch that really made him kind of, you know, that that top level prospect that he was. It was it was a big part of the equation. So now to get it back is huge. Are we seeing another big year here from Dylan Bundy? I mean, or not, excuse me, not another big called, year, the big year because yeah, last year was a growth year. 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 People called that cutter a lethal weapon when he was throwing it in the high school and in the early uh, when he was able to use it until it was taken away from him. Got a 60 grade uh, from Kylie uh, back when he was doing our prospects with a 70 future. Yeah, and it, 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 just a, a very quality pitch. And so to have that extra weapon should – I mean, he was already striking out 8.5 per 9 without it. 
now he's and it's not like the cutter's a strikeout pitch anyhow. It's more it's more designed to disrupt your you know, di- disrupt contact and different things. Um, so I don't know if there's going to be a jump in strikeouts, but I think it would be it should definitely help him get that ERA down a little bit. I mean, he gave up 18 home runs and 109 innings last year. Uh, you know, a lot of that is is was probably off the fastball if I were to if I were to guess. So if he can get um, some cutter help there, that should bring down the, the home run rate, which again brings down the ERA as well. So I. I'm not willing to say here comes a 160 plus inning monster season from Bundy, but uh, I'd like to own a couple of shares of him by the time we're done with draft season. Yeah, I, I would as well. I think I think I'm a little bit tempered like you, uh, where I'm not saying this is a, a full on breakout. Holy crap! I'm winning my league because of Dylan Bundy, but I do think it's going to be a useful mixed league sort of season, which means um, he's going to be in kind of that, you know, mid mid to upper threes. Cut, if you cut some of those homers, it, it could be the, the low to mid threes, possibly. I could see strikeout growth just from his other stuff, not necessarily because of the cutter, like you said. Um, and, and you're going to get more innings this year. And so, you know, we'll see how the wins break out with that team. That's a great bullpen, though. So even if they are kind of protecting him it's early, really good uh, and they're saying more five, six innings so that we can have you later in the season going seven, eight, then that could be huge, too, because I, I, st- I still think he can get his wins even if they're protecting his his innings, he got ten wins last year with only uh, you know fourteen starts and and sixteen wait how many uh, what did they twenty two uh, and twenty two relief appearances so you know he, and he had ten wins which is actually more than Gosman so um, I do think that uh, Bundy's somebody that you want and the price is right man I mean he just doesn't really cost anything right now um, and and again it's understandable there's no reason to really. Uh, get overly crazy with his with his price tag right now. He's going as the 73rd pitcher off the board, pick 274 in NFBC. And again, they're going to push up younger pitching, which could break out. So your home leagues might even have him after pitcher 80. Which if you're in a 15 team mixer, you're talking you're talking a reserve, and so you don't have to pay a lot. Your AL onlys, you're gonna have to pay a little something. But I think it's gonna be what do you think? Seven bucks at the most. In an A yes. only, and and so I will pay that. I will take that chance. Remember, this guy I think was the number two over, or number four overall pick. He was an elite, elite prospect who was ranking, you know, top five on prospect lists. So the pedigree's there, the stuff is there. There's a lot to like. I like Dylan Bundy too. Just don't get too crazy. I think the highest you could push him up if you want to get aggressive, and you really want to say, hey, I gotta do this. I gotta get this guy. It might be around like pick two thirty, uh, and that. You know, that's if you fully believe, and I, I think that puts them in the mid sixties, mid to late sixties among starting pitchers. And I'd be okay with it, but don't make a habit of it if you're a multi-leaguer. You just won't have to pay that much in most league formats. All right. Um, I didn't put anything on Zach Britton because he's a stud. He's going to be a top three closer. I mean, I'll just ask yeah, you quickly. prediction, he's going to be worse than last year. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's not going to have a .54 ERA again. That's crazy. <laughs> Bold prediction. Um, I think we talked about when, when uh, Koji Urahara had his amazing season. We're like, um, th- this has to come back a little bit. Of course, bit. It, it, it will. It has to. Um, but, yeah, again, he's still a top. Yeah, he's going to – I don't think – I don't I don't know. Every year I say this about the Orioles. I don't think they're a 500 team. I know. They get um, crapped on by, by us. And every year they make us Every year, and, and they just stick it in our eyes. So I'm, I'm reluctant to do that this year. But you look at the staff, and that's why. It's because the bullpen is like their key, and bullpens are volatile. And so it's hard – 
you know, for stat folks that's to be good. like. good. I mean, Britain, Britain, Brock, and O'Day. That's deep, exactly. That's one of the three best out there. It may not be the sexy names of some of the other pens, but Brad Brock is a freaking beast. He's awesome. Um, and O'Day kills good. righties. Michael Givens yes. is a hard thrower. Um, you know, it, it, if Vidal Nuno can be that second lefty that can do some things there, and he's more of a, a long relief bridge sort of guy, I mean, it's it's a it's a deep it's a deep bullpen. I really like what they're able to do. So even knowing the volatility of bullpens, I still think you have to project them to be one of the very best, and it really does make up for a mediocre There's rotation. There's nothing else coming. There's nothing else coming for these guys. That's really the issue. I mean, if Chris Tillman's shoulder is not a hundred percent, if if Wade Miley stinks in that park, which is a very good chance. Like Baldo Jimenez is, you know, he surprised us a little bit later, but I mean, this is it. There, there's nobody else coming. That's the tough so, part for them. And I, I, that's why I, that's what, but then again, you don't need to be on a good team to get a lot of saves. Correct. Uh, and that could, that can happen with Britain. I'm just not, I'm not paying the price on Britain right now. If he's going in top 50 in some drafts and no. Yeah. Pick 58 overall. Um, and like you said, min pick is in that 50 range. Um, just behind Chapman and Jansen, I would pay it. Uh, I, I will, I will pay those top three, those top three guys. It kind of depends on how my first three picks go or my first two picks kind of, de- well, no, it have to be the t- first three picks. I, I don't think I would take them as a top three round sort of guy. Um, in the leagues I've been in, they, I haven't had to when I have taken one of those guys, but I do really like a lot of closers this year in that mid range. We've talked to Ken Giles to death. I love Kelvin Herrera. So as much as I am interested in investing in stud closers, I think you can get stud closers a little later. That does kind of diminish the Chapman, Jansen, Britain trio at the top. Um, let's talk prospects and wrap this up. As you mentioned, two guys. There's not much coming. In fact, the only pitcher I listed is Hunter Harvey, who's recovering from TJ. So he's in the non-factor. I just wanted to bring him up for Dynasty Leaguers because I know they'd be asking about him. And then on the hitting side, it's uh, Chance Sisko, who you know could could linger as, as the potential catcher. But I, I think that they're going to go with Castillo and, and Joseph this year. And then the aforementioned Trey Mancini, who's not really much of a prospect, but in this system and on this team, he kind of is because he's kind of the first man up for a bat if they need a corner. Um, so have at it with that amazing group of prospects, Jason. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, Cisco has uh, – he's got a handful of bat uh, at-bats above double-A. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a catcher, I, I – Honestly, want nothing to do with a catcher prospect. I, 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 I really, I'm prospect. so tired of, I'm so tired of wasting picks on him. Correct. Um, I can't do it anymore. Uh, like I said, with with Mancini, if you know, if they can hide him in left field, if they think he can play left field, um, I'm not sure what his, uh, what his position fully where he played. fully first base in the minors so far. All right. So if if they could hide him in left field as a platoon partner, you know. And if something happens to one of those guys and he can play some more, um, maybe that's worth watching a little bit. But honestly, no, I'm not. I'm not interested in either of these guys, even in a 12-team AL and a dynasty format. I'm still not very excited Same. about rostering either guy. Same. And and then um, thoughts on Hunter Harvey? He is still kind of a, a bit of an elite prospect, although health has been a big issue. He is the son of uh, former closer Brian Harvey. Some of you may remember. I know, I know the big question mark is of course health. So let's assume he, right. he kind of takes the natural, a natural trajectory, does get healthy from Tommy John. How do you feel about his outlook, uh, in 18, 19 and beyond? I mean, I'd like him, I'd like him pre-injury. I mean, I'm looking at a note that came out the other day that, uh, Keith Law said he wasn't, uh, he was going to, 
pitch an instructional league in September. So they, they have written him off Oof. completely for this year. So a million percent uh, done. You know, okay. you look at his, you know, you look at his, uh, his current and future grades, fastball 65, 70, curveball 55, 60, change up 45, 50 plus. Command forty fifty plus. That's major leaguer. That's a third starter. Yep. At minimum. That's that's where the ceiling is. Um, I did again. I did like him pre-injury. Um, in a dynasty, if I if I have the, the the roster spot like a deep bench, I can put him on. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep him on in there because when he was you know when he was pitching, the stuff was terrific. And uh, it's just unfortunate he went down the way he did. But this is now two seasons, and he's barely pitched. He's pitched 12 and a half innings over. Uh, he didn't pitch at all in 15, and he pitched 12 and a half innings last year. It's that it's that Bundy thing too, you know, where, he, where he's where he's missing all this time, and so he is a bit forgotten. And I totally understand it. But then, even when he comes back with under Harvey, you're still looking at a guy who is going to be eight, 22 this year. So he missed all this year, but he'll come back and be 23. If he doesn't even debut until 19, he's still just 24. So if you are a dynasty league, I don't think you can completely get rid of him or, or forget him. Maybe buy him up on the cheap, uh, and, and just wait it out a little bit. Show, if you have some patience, uh, this might be a time to invest because you can get him at a cheaper rate and, you know, it might not work, right? Pitchers flop all the flipping time, but you get, you're looking at maybe a 23, 24 year old who still has sky high talent. So I, I would still, I would still maybe take a bet on Hunter Harvey in a dynasty league, but uh, don't, don't get too crazy about it. I can't find anything else to be excited about on this team. I'm not a huge prospect guy. Y'all know that, but uh, you know, I, I know some things and I'm just looking at this list here and I'm like, this is not impressive. I mean, what what do we got here? Their first round pick last year, Cody Sedlock. I will cop to not knowing anything about him. He is their number two guy according to MLB with a uh, 50 grade, um, 60 fastball, and then a bunch of 50s across the board. Otherwise, whatever. Um, if, if somebody knows something about him that suggests that he's some some stud that I'm missing out on, please let me know. I like this other guy. He's the 18th rated guy. I just like him for his name though. His name's Ofelki. Ofelki Peralta. O f e l k y. That's the only reason I like him knows his name. I don't know anything about him. Ofelki is an amazing freaking. He turns name. twenty, turns twenty in April. Yeah, so he he did he, make uh, Kylie's list back in two thousand fifteen. Go Ofelki, get you some dog. I might actually change he made, Charlotte's he made name. His list way back then. Yeah, Chase. Is he a, a reliever? A reliever uh, prospect probably, even though he's starting right now. Um, ba- based he on got what you can tell, three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Um, and didn't show much polish, but he hit 97 at 17 years old. That's what, that's what I was thinking with the big arm. If because I'm seeing a control grade here of 40 on on the MLB one, uh, if that, that, but he's so young that it could still develop. But if it doesn't, it looks like Ofelki is at least a reliever. I hope he's he becomes. A, a he's stud. got a career walk rate of 7.2. Is that bad? He's got a strike career strikeout rate of 5.2. Is that bad though? If your hey, name's Ofelki, the Orioles' top prospect list. Yeah, if your name's Ofelki, don't you get a break? Don't you get a break? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm taking. I'm looking at Steamer projections. That's not good. I'm sorry. I was reading Steamer projections. They have him doing that in one inning of work. By the way, uh, can't wait for that inning. <laughs> Let's see Ofelki's numbers in the minors here. But his walk rate seven seven six seven five three. Yeah. So he is showing improvement. Six one um, for his career in the minors. Ofelki, uh, eight point six strikeouts. So, so the strikeouts are better than that than that projection that that uh, Steamer has for him. Uh, we're obviously joking. Ofelki is not on, on the radar in any way, shape, or form. He's a mid-prospect in a bad system, so you don't want guys like that in your dynasty. Just wanted to give a little bit of uh, love to Ofelki for an amazing name. That's going to end it, Jason. We talked to Orioles. Yes. We talked pitching battles. 
We had a good Sunday. Uh, baseball's back officially with spring training kicking off. WBC is going to be here before you know it. I'm super geeked about that. At least, uh, it, it, there's a bit more realness to that baseball than, than the spring training. So, um, what's your schedule like next week? Are you going to be available or are you traveling? I am available next weekend. Ooh, um, back to back it will have to be kind of, well, it depends. I've got to drive to Southern Georgia. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll keep you posted. Maybe Sounds we'll good. record once I get to the hotel or we'll record earlier uh, along those lines. All right. All right. Well, great talk. I will uh, talk to you next week. All right, man. See you. Peace.